surprised to see my parents on the screen earlier today. I wasn't expecting that. They are, as uh, Gary said, they're not with us. They're, they're not physically with us. They're here through the live stream, and I'm glad that they're at least here. They were partaking the Lord's Supper with us at the same time. Um, uh, so if you're ever away from here and you want to hook up to live stream, it's a, a great way to be with us when you physically can't be. Uh, Dad was um, uh, helping my mother uh, at the post office, and you've got to be careful when you get older. There's things that you can trip on. He tripped, fell, and they sent me a picture on my uh, phone and uh, of them being with us, and Jonah, my grandson, says, Great Daddy is beat up. <laughs> and, and he is. He was, he was uh, he's a little beat up today, so... Um, nothing broken that we know of or that he knows of, so we're thankful uh, for that and just pray that he gets back to his, his normal self uh, soon. Um, last week, Rodney shared with us, I believe the title of the lesson, I'm kind of looking for him, I don't see him, was Go Rogue. I think that was it, wasn't that it? All right. And based on the uh, Star Wars movie that's come out that I haven't seen, I'm not a great fan of, So, but uh, th- that was kind of the theme there. And one thing that I gained from that is he, he was talking about we have, we are, uh, we're a part of a rebellion. Now, when we hear that, we normally think of rebellion against God, but we're rebelling against the world and the way the world is and joining the... Uh, what, I don't even know what they call it in Star Wars. Uh, light side? Not the dark side, <laughs> but the other side. And he was talking about light and darkness. And I thought, oh, man, that all fits in with First uh, John. And I was, uh, of course, that's where my mind is. And, and so the passage that I, I thought of is in uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 15 through 17, where he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, does not come from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And so that's really what he was saying. He said, join, join the side. Join the, the, the side of uh, good and righteousness and leave the world. And I'm, I'm thankful to, for Rodney sharing that message with us. I'm thankful to be um, working with him uh, in this ministry together. Today we're continuing in 1 John, surprise. Uh, normally, though, around this Christmas time, I, I, I stop, I get away from my series and, and do some other things. But just the way of some of the uh, times that we've had, like we had two more here a few weeks ago, uh, this I, I couldn't leave this section of the pa- of the series without really breaking it up in a big way, and so I wanted to uh, to finish at least this section, uh, and it brings us into the the holidays. And I apologize for that if I need to. Um, the lesson today is from chapter four, verse eighteen of First John, and I'm titled entitled that God is love, living without fear, and if you are not in a relationship with God, if you're not a Christian, if you're not in a relationship with Christ, I want you to listen to the lesson with this in mind. What do we Christians have to offer you? And we have a reputation that sometimes is deserved and sometimes not of 
not having a good message for you. It's basically when, you're, when you get to the point you don't have anything else to do, then come to us, we have something, you know, that we can give you. But I don't think that's the message of the Bible at all. I think it's, it's greater than that. And so as you listen to today's message, this is what we can offer you. But I'm talking to those who are in a relationship with God, okay? So don't, don't listen to this and think, oh, this is just for every single person in the world. This is for those who are in a relationship with God. And so we're going to look at this, and it's one of my favorite passages of the Bible. It's, it's truly an awesome uh, passage that is hard to believe. And I want to set it in its context, and part of its context, by reading verses 15 through 18 together. 1 John chapter 4, starting in 15 through 18, to kind of help us see this context. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Beginning in verse 16, we introduce this section by the words, God is love. He says it up in verse eight, uh, 8 also, but in verse 16 he says, God is love. And it's a trilogy of lessons that's, ha- that's based on this theme of the character of God, the essence of God, which is love, he says. We first saw that God is love. We live in love. That's in the uh, last part of verse 16 where he says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And we saw how this relationship that we have is a, I, I don't know how to, to describe this. It's interwoven. We're in God. God is in us. It's, it's hard to, a concept to really put in our minds. But we have this interwoven relationship with God that affects our relationships, all, all of our relationships. It affects our lives with people that we work with and live with and come in contact with. And it affects the way we think. If we really understand what this means, living in Him and Him in us, it's not coming to church and doing some church stuff and going out and doing your family stuff, your you know, business stuff, but it's the way you live your life. And since we are in Him, which is love, God is love, we exist and live out our lives in what I'm calling God love. The word love is hard. You know, we think of a romantic love so many times when we use that word. So I often will put in here God love. It's God kind of love. The agape love is Clyde shared with us back when he introduced this section um, uh, a couple months ago. He's the source from which we derive love. He's the power through which we can display this love. And then we continue to explore this where it says God is love. We live in confidence. We read verse 17 a moment ago, and I'm going to read it again, where he says, In this way, love is made complete 
among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. And we saw the outcome of this or the consequence that when God lives in us and we live in God, there's an amazing change in our attitude toward God. It's in our attitude toward how we view the day of judgment. Most people look at the day of judgment in fear and they're frightened. And he says, but if you're living in God and God's living in you, your attitude toward the day of judgment is confidence. And so we come in confidence or boldness is another way this can be translated to the day of judgment. And so as we cooperate in God's love, and that's where he says among us, a little word among us, we cooperate in God's love, which he showed to us by the sending of his son as the atoning sacrifice of our sins. We put that love into practice in our lives. How? By loving one another. And so I call I coined this last week, and it's probably not too original, but I called us the agape clan. You know, a clash of clans. I'd ask for a raise of hands, but I won't. You know, the, the game that people are playing, clash of clans, is kind of a the clan thing right now. Well, we are a clan. We are the, the agape clan. That's the, the Greek word for love. We are the love clan, the God love clan. That's who we are. It defines us. And so this love, this God love matures, and in that mature, grown-up love, we find this sense of confidence in God's salvation and His love for us. So why should we be confident? If you were paying attention last week, and I know most of you were, and paying attention today, I didn't read the last part of that verse. Listen, uh, let me find it here in my Bible. Because in this world... We are like Him. That's why we're confident. We didn't cover that because I didn't have time. And I wanted to introduce verse 18. They're, kind of, they're, they're attached together with this, this, uh, this phrase here. We are, because in this world, we are like Him. Now, it's important to understand this. It's really important to understand this because it's tied to our confidence. The word because... You know, maybe you haven't noticed. I'm a word person. As I read, I read words and I think about these words and I think, why is that word there? Why did he choose that word? And he said, he said, because there's a word because there and it shows the reason. He says, we have confidence on the day of judgment because. Now, what would you expect? What I would expect is something like this. We have confidence on the day of judgment because of Christ's sacrifice for us. He doesn't say that. We have confidence on the day of judgment because of his shed blood, his atoning sacrifice. And we do have confidence because of those, because we would have no confidence or no hope if we did not have his blood and his sacrifice. But that's not what he said. He's making a point here. He says we have confidence because in this world we are like him. When I said at my couch to study. <laughs> I have all these books around. Julie is so patient. I just pile up literally the stuff all around me, my notes and everything. And she never says anything about my mess right there. And as I sit there thinking about this, it did not give me confidence. I think most people's reaction 
is the same as mine, or maybe you're not, but but my thought was, I'm not like Jesus. I lose confidence. If my confidence is based on how much I'm like Jesus, then I have a long ways before I'll ever be confident. Can you relate to that? In this world, we are confident because in this world we are like him so my my natural thought is so what i'm going to do i'm going to try and be more like jesus i'm going to learn to live to be more like him i'm going to try harder so one day i'm going to have confidence because i'm going to really try hard i'm going to grow and i'm going to mature and then one day i thought that one day would be when i was 50 years old 50 came and went 10 years ago and I thought that was the that would be the ultimate mature level, and I, I, it wasn't there. John is not saying that. One writer that I, that I read, he said, what this is saying is, since we have a resemblance to Christ, we can be confident. In other words, since I'm growing and since I'm maturing in Christ, and since I can see this growth and I can see this maturity, now I have confidence. But if you're like me, that still doesn't give you much confidence because sometimes I don't see much growth. Sometimes I don't see much maturity. Sometimes I even see a regression in my life. I thought I was doing really well. And I was like, <clears throat> I thought I got rid of that. I'm as selfish as I was. What in the world? And I thought, kept thinking, you keep, remember what I said? I, the, the three themes that just keeps me driving. If, I'm, if I can't understand something, I keep going back and saying, this book is written so that I may have joy to the full. And this book is written so that I will not sin. And this book is written so that I'll know that I have eternal life. And so when I read something and I'm not, and I don't have joy, and I read something and it causes me to think I can get away with sin, or that I don't have assurance, then I say, I'm misunderstanding something here. And so I started thinking about this. And I thought, here's the key. It has to be God-centered. Remember that? This whole book is God-centered. It's not me-centered. It's God-centered. And what did I just say? When I mature, when I grow up, when I do better, when I try harder, what, where was I in my thinking? That's how I was thinking. It was me-centered. I wasn't God-centered again. And he says, in this world, right now, in our present existence, we are like him. Not we are becoming like him. Not that we're trying to be like him, but it says we are like him. And in the Greek language, which it was written in, it's even more emphatic because he says, just as Christ is, so we are. Just as Christ is. This God-centered gospel tells me I am like him. Right now, presently in this world, not one day in the future, not one day when I do better, and when I realize that, and I believe it, I place my faith and trust in that, then I'll be confident. Do you know how you are like him right now? I'm going to remind you, I've told you over and over. But this is based on what you are right now. If you are a Christian, this is what you are right now. Over and over he's told you, you're my beloved. Remember that? This is what God calls you, my beloved. Now, if you're reading the NIV, you're not going to see that because they translate this word in verse 7 and verse 11, dear friends. And I understand why they do that because 
The word beloved is quaint and a little bit archaic. I haven't been called beloved recently. You're loved, I've heard that, but beloved is not a, it's kind of an old-fashioned word. And so in a new-fashioned translation, they're trying to use new words, and so they're taking it from the view that John is writing this, and he's talking to people, and he says, you are my dear friends, you are my beloved, and that's true. But I think he's making a, bit, a, a deeper point. He's saying you're God's beloved. And as you read throughout this entire letter over and over, you'll see it will become more and more clear you are God's beloved. That's who you are. This is the very same word that God used to describe Jesus when he came up out of that water, when he was baptized and he came out of that water. Remember what God said from the voice from heaven? It says, this is my beloved son. Not my son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Same word. The only difference is that was singular and this is plural. All right? You all, y'all, are the beloved. Right now, in this world, you're God's beloved ones. And he talks about that in verse 9 and 10. You can't get away from the context. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is that he took your place sacrifice for our sins. And so we know in verse 16, the very beginning, and we rely on that love. Remember what I said that word means, rely? It means we lean heavily on it. It means we rest in it. It means we put our full weight on his love. It's like you've been hurt, you need to be carried. You're putting your full weight in his love. That's what the word trust means. And beyond that, not only are we beloved, we are his children. You're his beloved, but we're his children. Taking advantage of putting some of my grandkids up there. Some of them. We are his children. Over and over. A passage that's a favorite of many of you, including me. Chapter 3, verse 1. How great the love the Father has bestowed upon us, or has lavished upon us. I was quoting King James there, wasn't I? Lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And he doesn't stop that there. He has to emphasize it. And that is what we are. Not what we will be one day, but that is what we are. And we can go on. Over and over he uses that word. And I've stressed this, that little word, technia, little Greek word, which is the, it's the nursery, what the nurses call the little children. Over and over he's been calling you Bobby and Joni and Mary, well, like Angel, her nickname, Yaya. You know, things like that. That's what God, how God views us. We're as little children. And so our confidence isn't not, is not based on how much we're changing and how we're trying and how we're growing in Christ, but what He's made us, what He created us, how He changed us. He said, you're my beloved, you're my little children. He says it over and over. And that's a God-centered gospel. And that's good news. And that gives me joy. Because that kind of gospel I can have confidence in. 
It's nothing I did to show how great I am. It's everything to show how great God is. God loved us, called us His beloved. God loves us and calls us His little children. And with that, I can walk into confidence on the day of judgment. And further, he says he gives us no fear. No fear. Verse 18. Let's read that together. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You know, this is a counterintuitive passage. When people think of God normally, not all the time, but when people think of God, they often think of fear. Terror. There, there's a natural, I, I'd say it's a natural sense of fear with right-thinking people. And that's true whether we're thinking of Jehovah God, of the Bible, or the pagan gods of mythology and paganism. For those of you who are visiting, I spent 18 years of my life either as a son of a missionary or as a missionary in the Fiji Islands. And so I'm a little bit familiar with some things there. And I pulled out one of my mythology books this past week. To give you an example, in Fijian mythology, and it's really neat, it's very it's tied to Greek. You see the, the, the similarities between Greek mythology and all, all of the mythologies. And I think the reason it's all tied back to real history. And that's what mythology is, just turned on its head. But when someone dies in Fijian mythology, they go to a physical, there's a physical place in Fiji. And they'll say, this is the place. It's called Nine Bodo, Nine Dombo Dombo, <laughs> and they they can actually go there today. And they said that's where they go, and that's the jumping-off spot to go to the afterlife. And you have to go through a series of trials and tests with with some gods, you know, to get there. And so they're trying to enter what they call Buroto, which is eternal life. And I will read you part of a story of a, two young men. In this mythology, he do not believe in this. They disbelieved. And it says, it begins here, it says, there were skeptics even among the Fijians. <laughs> he says, we don't believe a word of this, two young men maintain. And it goes on, there's a conversation. And they say, it's all nonsense and we'll prove it to you. So they went away and painted themselves, covered their bodies with oil and putting on new garments, as is the way with those who are newly dead. They traveled through the forest and along the beaches until they came to Nain Dombodombo, the place from which the spirits take their departure on their last journey to Murimuria or Burotu. Just think eternal life. The young men got down on their knees and cried mockingly to the god, Please give us a canoe to take us to Bulu. They were surprised. To their surprise, an invisible hand placed a canoe on the sand beside them. Considerably shaken, they examined it carefully and found it was made from the timber of a breadfruit tree. They address the unseen giver. Please, sir, we are sons of chiefs, not slaves. We ask for a canoe of chiefs. The canoe disappeared and took, another took its place. It was made of ironwood. The young men looked at each other and whispered, It's a trick. Someone is deceiving us. They burst into peals of laughter. They threw their spears at it and kicked it contemptuously. Take it away, they jeered. We have been fooling you. We are living men and have no intention of dying for a long time yet. A mighty voice came from somewhere over the sea. And this is what one I want you to see. The relationship between gods and people. 
A mighty voice came from over the sea. The, tree bent, the trees bent before it. The echoes reverberated among the hills. And the young men held up their arms to protect their eyes from flying sand and spray. They covered their ears to block out the sound. But the unseen speaker uttered words that penetrated hands, ears, and hearts. Oh, foolish young men, it said. You are unbelievers. In mockery, you call for a canoe. One you rejected, and it took one of your relatives away. You asked for another, and this, this we gave. It, too, was taken, with, and with it, another of your relatives. There is death in both your houses. If you remain, you will die now in all your folly and impiety of your youth. The, voices, the voice ceased. The echoes died away. The wind was succeeded by a calm. Laughter had drained out of the young men. With fear in their hearts, they hastened back to their village. Long before they reached it, they heard the sound of wailing. Their mothers were dead. That's how we look at God. That's how we naturally tell the stories of mythology about God. It's this battle between me and the gods. And they always win. They're fearsome. They're frightened. They speak to our intuitive sense of terror of God. And further, as we approach this passage, to, to, to show you that, as I approached this passage and read, read up on it, the first response of many people reading this passage is to tell you what it doesn't say. They begin to explain, but we do fear God. The passage says there is no fear, and then we say, but there is. And, the, and there's all this writing on how we do fear. I took a graduate class, a few graduate classes many years ago. And I was sitting in class, and some way we had a discussion. I don't even know the class. But I do remember this. In fact, I remember very little from, <laughs> from those studies. But this I do remember. We were discussing, in some way we came to this passage, and I read it, and I said, well, there's no fear in love. There's no fear. It, perfect love drives out fear. And the man sitting behind, beside me was probably in his 40s. I thought he was an old man. He was probably in his 40s. He was a preacher. He turned to me and, and looked at me sternly. And he said, that's not talking about fear of God. That's talking about fear of man. And I mean, I, I, mean, I almost fell out of my seat. I looked at the teacher, and he just kind of looked at me. I looked at everyone else, and they kind of looked at me. And I was like... Well, maybe I don't know how to read English. And I reread it. And we went on in class. We never dealt with that. But it's not talking about fear of man. Let's see what this passage says. I was telling Matthew this week, I'm trying really hard to stay within 30 minutes. I really am. <laughs> if you need to leave... It's your, go ahead. But I, I want to tell you what this says. I don't want to break this up into more than lessons that, that, that I don't need to. I'll try and go through it semi-fast. First of all, he says, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. And when John wrote that, he could have chosen two words for no. One's a milder negative and one's a stronger negative. In fact, one of the Greek grammarians, he, said, he says it this way. This particular word is a stronger one. It is the clear-cut 
point blank, negative, objective, final. No. <laughs> That's what he said. There no, it's not maybe no. It is an absolute negative, point blank, clear cut, objective, final no. And this word fear, we get our word phobias, all the phobias that you hear about. That's a Greek word. It's the phobias that we have. That's where this word comes in. The word is actually is phobos, which comes from which uh, in Greek mythology, there was a god, one of the gods named Phobos. His father was the god of uh, war, Eris, and the, his mother was Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And this is one of the children that they had, Phobos. And the god of war took him into, always took him Phobos with him because he'd strike fear into everyone's heart in the battlefield. So John says, there is no fear in love. So I'm sitting here thinking, well, what is he talking about? What love is he talking about? There's no fear in love. And so I'm looking at it, and it literally says there is no fear in the love. In the love. And that word is there on purpose, and it's not in our English because it messes up our way we speak English. But the word is there, there is no fear in the love. And that goes back to verse 16. Read it with me. Where he says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. This is the love he's talking about where there's no fear. We, when we rely, when we trust, when we heavily lean on the love of God, there is no fear. It's based on what he's done for us to remove that punishment and penalty of sin. Verse 14 where he says, you are the Savior of the world. And so it's with confidence we now approach not only the judgment of God without fear, but God himself without fear. Confidence, boldness is the opposite of fear and dread. We can't have confidence and fear at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. Let me give you an illustration. You can have courage and fear at the same time. You know that? Someone's breaking into my house. I don't send Julia out to check it out. I have fear... I have fear. Someone's breaking into the house. There's fear. But I go there because I have courage. All right? Courage is facing something in the midst of fear. But when my grandchildren come and knock on the door, or my children knock on the door, I don't go with courage. I go with confidence. There's no fear there. I'm never afraid to open the door and go, Oh, Mikey. <laughs> No, it's confidence. And that's the, what the, these words mean. There's no fear in confidence. They're mutually exclusive. You can't have them both at the same time. And so he uses this word confidence on purpose. He doesn't say you go with courage, because we can go to, with courage to God and, and fear at the same time. And then he says perfect love. This fearless love is a particular type of love. It's perfect love. And we saw this in our last lesson. We saw this not speaking of perfect living. It's not saying moral perfection here. He's not saying when you learn how to love perfectly without mistake, then you can cast out fear. He is not saying that. He's saying when this, this love is mature, it's complete, you're doing what you're created to do, you're living life like God created you to live, how God wants you to live. You're grown up now in love. And so what does this grown up love do? It says it drives out fear. A neat word here. There's a word picture here. You, you can think in pictures when you, when you read this. It means to drive it out so it doesn't exist in the, sa in the, in the same sphere. You, you, you're in one sphere. You drive it out to get rid of it. 
The same word is used of Jesus when he drives out people in the, in the temple in uh, John chapter 2. He goes there, he sees things happening, and it says he drives them out. He, he drives out the animals and the, and the people, too. He says, get all these things out of here. All right? You get the picture that people are in a place they shouldn't be, and he drives them out. Later on in John chapter 9, there was a blind man. And he's healed by Jesus, and they're interviewing him, trying to figure out. And they say, listen, just give glory to God, because we know that that man's a sinner. Jesus is a sinner. And he says, well, isn't it amazing that someone, you know, who's a sinner can heal a man born blind? And it says they got so fed up with him, they drove him out of the synagogue. And the word, we'd say they tossed him out on his ear. They opened the door, they kicked him out. The metaphor is powerful. It means literally to turn out of doors, to turn out of doors, to drive out, to turn out of doors. And it made me think, well, what door are we talking about? If that metaphor is true, what door are we talking about? Would you go to verse, and I got excited when I saw this, verse 16, last part of it, he says, and I, and I spent a whole lesson on this, whoever lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. What illustration did I give you several times when we came to that word abide? Do you remember? The, anyone remember the illustration? The visual illustration? A house. Thank you. Someone's listening. A house. And the picture I had was a cozy, warm house. Remember the snow all around and it was lit up and it looked nice. And it's like it's a place you want to go home to. That's exactly what it is. And so he says, when you're at home with God, when you're living with him, when you're abiding with Him when you're in this comfortable dwelling with Him and fear comes in, you open up the door and you toss it out on His ear. That's what it says. This is not a passive, sweet, any hints of, hint of false humility, any kind of bravado. We're not talking about that. This is a love that has come to believe that the God of the universe so loved you that he paid the penalty for our sins. And this God of heaven and earth moved heaven and earth so that we can become his little technia, his little children. This is a love that we have come to know and place our faith in so that when fear comes, we can toss it out into the cold. This is mature, grown up in Jesus, perfected, Complete love. Why? I ask myself a lot of questions when I study. Why? Because he gives you the answer right here. Because fear has to do with punishment. He gives you the reason. Because. Because fear has to do with punishment. When I think of punishment, what am I focusing on? I'm focusing on myself. It's all about me. I want to avoid punishment. Right? I don't seek punishment. There's a word when people seek punishment that something's wrong with those folks. But I want to avoid punishment. It focuses on my wrongs, my sins, what I need to do or not need to do in order to avoid punishment. And we all have experiences. We, we sin. And what do you start doing? You start promising God, well, this is what I'm going to do if, if you get me out of this mess. And you start reading your Bible a lot. You start praying a lot. And you're hoping that God has mercy on you. Has anyone ever experienced that? You do something. You're caught. You're, you're in trouble. And you just become a Bible person. And you're praying a lot. And you're like, oh, God, just get me out of this. And I promise I'll do anything. 
I don't think I'm the only person that's ever done that. And again, what we're doing, we, we start looking at my good deeds and what I'm going to do. Maybe God will show favor to me because I'll start doing these good things. Because I know I deserve punishment. And I'm afraid I'm going to get what I deserve. And John says, that's baby love. That's adolescent thinking. Grow up. Mature love. Perfect love. Takes fear. Tosses it out. Because fear has to do with punishment. And listen. Good news. God has already taken the punishment. That's why you don't have to be afraid of the punishment. Some of you look at me like you don't believe me. All right. Verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We don't understand that because we don't understand atoning sacrifice. That means He took our place. We deserve this punishment. He took it. He took the punishment. There is no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. Where's your punishment? It's already taken. That's good news. If we focus on what God has done, there's no fear. There's no fear of judgment. There's no fear of punishment. There's no fear of what God's going to do to you. And so I ask the question, what if you do fear? That's okay. You won't go to hell if you, go, if you have fear, but you haven't grown up. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. John said it, not me. God said it, not me. You haven't matured. You haven't grown up. You're not living the life that you're meant to live, the child of God that you really are, because, see, fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears, you're not grown up yet. You haven't grown up. You haven't really realized the truth of the gospel. You haven't really realized what God is telling you. You don't really believe that God has already taken the punishment. That's okay. He has. That's what it says. That's what the passage says. I'm going to talk to you later on about le- next lesson, what it doesn't say. Because you're all thinking, what about Nadab and Abihu? What about Uzzah? All these people who were struck dead. What about this passage? Don't be afraid of the one who can kill the body, but the one who can cast body and soul into hell. What about that? Okay. Next week. Serious. I had to tell you what it said before I can tell you what it doesn't say. All right? Next week, we're going to deal with the hard stuff, okay? We're going to deal with... Uh, I don't know who we're going to deal with. We're going to deal with some of these folks. We don't have time to deal with them all, okay? We're going to deal with them. We're going to look at these pa- some of these passages. If you've noticed, most of my sermons, I stay in First John. I, I sometimes refer back. We're probably going to have to go into other places and say, yeah, but how do you look at this verse in, 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 in the, in, with this verse? Are they, do they contradict each other or what? Okay, we're going to do that next week. If you can't be here, you can listen to it online. Let me read. Back, we're going to back up to verse 15 and read this to tie it all up. The paraphrase that brings it all together. If anyone agrees with this truth, Jesus is the Son of God. What then is real and true in your life is that God dwells in you. And you find your permanent home in Him. And so we experience in our Christian lives this amazing love God has for us. And we lean heavily on it. God is love. 
Whoever is rooted and flourishes in God love is embedded in God, and God is at home in him. This is the way God love has come to its full bloom of maturity as we cooperate with him. The whole purpose of this mature God love is in our lives is so that we will have confidence. Heads held up high as we walk into the day of judgment. We live this way because in this world, God sees and treats us in just the same way he sees and treats Jesus. There is a clear-cut and final no to fear in this love. But still more, mature God love, love that has grown up and knows its proper place, opens the door of that comfortable and permanent home in which you and God mutually dwell and tosses that fear out into the cold. Because fear is all wrapped up in what I did and didn't do and what kind of punishment I deserve for those things. The ones who live their lives in that kind of fear, never certain of their relationship, always questioning, have never grown up and matured in God love. I'm telling you, Christians, if we live like this, we have good news to share. And if you're out of Christ, this is the good news. When you think of coming to your death and facing Almighty God, you're going to do it. And if I come and say, God, I spent 18 years overseas doing mission work. I spent how many years I've been here putting up with these folks? Ten. Plus. I had to work with Gary Benford all that time. God bless you. <laughs> it's the only way you get through it. <laughs> there's, there's just fear in that. That's, not, that's rags. That's dirty rags. That's nothing. That's compost. If I bring that to God. The only thing I have is what He's done for me. I can go, to, I can go in front of God in confidence, not because of me because of Him and what He's done. And that's the good news. And if you're outside of Christ, come in. Because, man, that's the good news. And we want to share it with you. And we want to live that with you. And we apologize when we haven't. Because sometimes we live in fear when we should be living in love. And so we want to apologize to you if we've set a bad example. And we want to start living a good example to, uh, with you. Gary's going to lead a song. Thank you for your patience. I hope you have good news to share this week. We'll be back next week to complete it. Our elders are going to come forward and help you. If you have any, anyone has any need to come forward, they'll be here to receive you. So we stand and sing.